0: As I mentioned earlier, we're uh, we're taking a break from uh, Matthew for this month, and looking at just some different aspects as we as we celebrate Advent. And just a quick plug: if you if you don't know uh, what Advent is, or if you've never celebrated Advent, uh, on our podcast last week on the One Decent Pastor podcast, we talked about Advent. So look that up, and hopefully we'll answer all your questions about Advent. Uh, but Advent basically means a, a coming. And uh, we are kind of stuck in this place in history uh, where we might say is between the two advents of Christ. So, so we look back, right, at at his first coming. We look back at his birth during this season uh, as we anticipate the second coming or the second advent uh, of Christ. And so, so we look back and we look forward. Uh, at the same time. And today we're going to look at uh, an aspect of Jesus as prophet. And and we're going to cover a lot of ground in scripture today. I apologize for that in advance. Normally we would have a text that we camp out in. So if if you're new here, uh, we normally would would preach through a text, but but we're we're covering a lot of ground today. And we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures today, uh, all in an effort to paint a picture for you uh, about Jesus, both as the subject of prophecy and Jesus as the object of prophecy. So, Jesus is the subject of prophecy and Jesus as the object of prophecy. If we look back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses was writing and he says, That the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him whom you shall listen. And so, in order for this to maybe give some meaning, we have to look at a little bit of context here and look, about, look at who Moses is. Moses is kind of a big name in the Bible, right? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard the name of Moses come up. If, if you grew up in church and Sunday school, you probably heard lots of stories about Moses and, and what he did. Um, Deuteronomy 34 uh, verses 10 to 12 tells us as the, the Pentateuch is closing out, uh, it says that there has not arisen a prophet Since in Israel, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So we learn a little bit of something about Moses so that he knew the Lord face to face. It's the only prophet that has been said of that. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all the land and for all of the mighty power and all of the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Now, if you know anything about... The story of Moses, God called Moses, and Moses was was a very reluctant prophet, if you will. Uh, Moses used the excuse, like, like many of us do when we face a call into pastoral ministry, I don't want to stand up in front of people and have to say anything, right? That was Moses' excuse a long, long time ago. Uh, and, and so God took that excuse away and said, okay, fine, I'll give you this guy Aaron as your spokesperson, right? He can be the one to do the talking right? Um, Moses uh, was in Egypt, and he confronted Pharaoh and and was part of the the bringing of the the plagues to Pharaoh. Moses led the people out of Egypt, out of their captivity in Egypt, uh, as God parted the Red Sea for them, another story that you might be familiar with. Moses stands alone among the prophets as he's recognized as a deliverer. He's recognized as a covenant mediator. The law came through Moses, the Ten Commandments. He's recognized as a priest, and he's recognized as a ruler. And and there's no one else in all of Israel, save Jesus, that, that is recognized in those ways. And so Moses stands alone. And it's Moses, it's this Moses who is saying that the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so it means something that Moses says this because of who Moses is. Moses has a a standing, he has a stature, he's revered. And Moses is saying that there's somebody better coming. There's somebody coming that's like me, he's an Israelite like me, but listen to him. All throughout the Old Testament we see prophet prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. Some big names that that you might know, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, some lesser names that you might not be as familiar with, Obadiah, Jonah, Haggai, some of what we call the minor prophets. And all of these prophets had a message. And being an Old Testament prophet, mind you, this was a rough job because the Old Testament prophet's job was just to show up on scene and, and, and usually bring news that wasn't great, uh, you know, usually bring the news that the people had, had left God, that they weren't following God and calling them back uh, to follow God again and to obey His commandments. Um, and, and so, these guys weren't really liked. And then you have a guy like Jeremiah who, in his entire ministry, he didn't see any converts, right? He just went from place to place, kind of given bad news and nobody responded to it. That would be a rough way to go. But Jeremiah, in the seventh chapter of his book, verses 22 to 26, has this to say. He says, For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, and this is God speaking through Jeremiah, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this commandment I gave to them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I commanded you, and it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all of my servants, the prophets to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Are we feeling good right about now? <laughs> this is... This was the job of the Old Testament prophets sent by God as an act of mercy on God's part, as an act of grace on God's part to send messengers all throughout time and all throughout history with this basic message, obey my voice, I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in the way that I command you that it may be well with you. This was essentially the message of the prophets, and it came in different ways and at different times, but this was the essential, this was the message of Moses, this was the message of all of the prophets that came after him throughout Old Testament history, just summed up very succinctly. And we see time and time again that God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, stiffened their necks, we're told. They went actually backwards, they didn't go forwards because they didn't obey God. They didn't listen to God. Now, if I'm God, and obviously I'm not, but if I'm God, if you're God, there's going to come a point where we might say, you know what, the people just aren't listening. Why do I bother? Why do I keep sending them messenger after messenger only for them to continue to not incline their ears, for them to continue to disobey? There would come a point for me where the grace runs out. There would come that point probably for you too. Throw your hands up in the air and say, well, <laughs> we made a good run, but it's not working. But God continually sends messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger with this message. Obey me so that it will go well with you. Not obey me because I I demand you obey me, but demand me or obey me that it will go well with you. God, God is a gracious and benevolent king. And it's for his glory and our good that we would listen to him. It's for His glory and our good that we would live the way that He calls us to live. Because He's good and because He's loving and because He's kind. We're told in the Bible that it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. The kindness and the goodness of God. And so He continues to send these messengers. And yet none of them are the, the messenger that's like Moses. Moses. None of these prophets, the big names, the little names, the the major prophets, the minor prophets, none of them are these big names. Every single one of these prophets point us forward to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 to 5, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is Isaiah pointing us forward to the one like Moses, the better Moses, pointing us forward to Jesus Christ, and he will rule with righteousness and with faithfulness. He will show us what it means to perfectly fear God. His delight, we're told, will be in the fear of the Lord. And he will judge with righteousness and he'll decide with equity for the poor and for the meek. The prophet Micah chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Or are we seeing here Jesus as the subject of prophecy? Jesus as the one whom the prophets point us to? Even in the Old Testament, pointing us forward to what's to come. Second Samuel 7, 12-16, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... and your house and your kingdom shall be made secure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Here we get a picture of Jesus taking on the iniquity of the world. We get a picture long before it ever happened of Jesus bearing the sins of the world to the satisfaction of the Father. Isaiah, again in chapter 7, verse 14, says that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And this brings us right up to the Advent season with this prophecy of Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. oftentimes we we don't feel near to God, do we? Many people who who might not even subscribe to any particular faith or religious system, one of their reasons for not doing so is, is that God isn't knowable. God isn't near to us. And we're told by the prophet Isaiah that God will be with us. God will be among us. John, the writer of the gospel in three epistles confirms this in John chapter 1, starting in verse 22. This is the testimony of John. This is John the Baptist we're speaking of. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. They said, Are you the prophet? And this is a reference to the one who Moses spoke about, the one who would come. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And, he said, and they said to him, so who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, these people who were questioning him had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So even John the Baptist points us to the person and the work of Christ. John's epistle tells us that the word became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when it, when it says dwelt among us, the word for dwelt is the same word for tabernacle in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. Right? They, they would set up this, this tent. Before they built the temple, it was a tent. It was a mobile tabernacle, if you will. And it was just understood that's the place where God showed up. And so when John makes this connection to say that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, He dwelt, He showed up among us. And we have seen His glory in John 1.14, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness about Him and cried out, this was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Are we seeing this picture develop yet? Jesus, the object, or the subject, I'm sorry, of Old Testament prophecy, the subject of whom the Old Testament prophets pointed us forward to one day the Messiah coming. And John the Baptist and John the Apostle Now, pointing us to Jesus as the object of prophecy. Jesus showing up. Jesus dwelling or tabernacling among us. The Word becoming flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The subject has now become the object. Hopefully we're seeing this picture develop. So again, back to Deuteronomy 1815, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, says Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This, this was the problem from Moses and even before Moses until Jesus arrived on the scene. And it really continues to be the problem today. We don't listen to Jesus. We don't listen to the one Moses said is coming and is better than him. And we don't listen. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is speaking, and Peter draws reference to this. Peter says that Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, and to those who came after him, also proclaimed these days You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, we, we don't typically come, come to church on during the Advent season to hear kind of this, this bad news of sin and wickedness and unrighteousness, but it's an important part of, of the message of the prophets and an important part of, of the message of the gospel. There's a problem that needs to be solved, and we're not capable in and of ourselves of solving this problem of sin and unrighteousness and wickedness. We're not capable of, of unplugging our deaf ears We're not capable of softening up our stiff neck. It's it's the nature with which we were born. This this is the bad news of sin. And the good news isn't really that good if the bad news isn't that bad. And the bad news is pretty bad, right? We we see thousands of years of history of people not listening to God's messengers. People not looking forward with eager anticipation of the subject of prophecy. Therefore, when the object of prophecy became flesh and dwelt among us, it was more of the same. Not, not listening and not obeying. And so the subject of prophecy becomes the object of prophecy. And what was Jesus' message you ever thought about like what was Jesus' primary message? He said a lot of things during his time on earth. But what was Jesus' primary message? Jesus' primary message was, was repent and believe. Kind of like the Old Testament prophets, like obey God and listen to what he says and live the way that he tells you to live so that it will go well for you. Jesus' message wasn't any different. His message was repent and believe. As a matter of fact, the Apostle John records Jesus' in chapter 14 of his gospel, saying that, that, that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, not a way, not a truth, not a life, not even the best way or the best truth or the best life, but definitively the way, the truth, the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, Jesus as the object of prophecy, the one that bridges the gap between us and God. If it weren't for Jesus, God may not be knowable to us. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus is in fact Himself God. Right? We believe in a Trinitarian view of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. And so Jesus... Bridges the gap so that God is knowable to us. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And He's the way that we come to the Father. There was this point in Jesus' ministry that Luke records. We call it the transfiguration. Maybe you're familiar or somewhat familiar with it. Luke chapter 9. Jesus was with Peter and John and James. And they went up to the mountain to pray. And as He was praying the appearance of his face, of Jesus' face, was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. And they spoke of his departure, meaning Jesus' departure, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw Jesus' glory, and they saw the two men that stood with him. And as these men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of that cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So we see throughout the history of Scripture, this constant call, listen. Listen to the message. Listen to the prophet. Listen to Moses. Listen to Jesus. And this is God the Father in this moment of transfiguration calling down from heaven, alerting us that this is his son. Now, that's a big deal. That's a big deal that, that, that the God of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who holds everything together, the one who knows everything, sees everything, hears everything, controls everything, everywhere, all of the time, takes a moment to call down from heaven saying, that's my son. Listen to him. Again, because of who's saying this, this is a big deal. It's not a big deal for me to stand up here and say, listen to him, because who am I? But this is, this is the God of the universe saying, this is my son. Pay attention. Listen to what he has to say the subject of prophecy is now the object of prophecy he's the one that they've all been pointing to he's the one that we've been anticipating he's the one that israel throughout their their difficult life the nation of israel they, they were always under somebody's thumb they were an oppressed people and the hope of israel was that one day the messiah the rescuer, the redeemer, is going to come. And one day the oppression will cease when He shows up. And so then the Messiah came, He he tabernacled, He dwelt among us, but how is it that He showed up? He didn't show up on a horse with a sword and a shield ready to go. That that was maybe the expectation of Israel, that one day the Messiah is going to come and He's just going going to wipe all of our enemies out. That was the hope that they had. And they get news that the Messiah shows up, and and how, how does it happen? He's a baby in a barn, humble, needed to be cared for and fed and changed and clothed. And He grew up just like we grew up. He experienced the things that we experienced, like us. The Word became flesh, according to John, and dwelt among us. And grew up like one of us. A very unlikely Messiah. You can imagine some of the maybe disappointment when they, they hear news that the Messiah has arrived and they find out that he's a baby. Somebody's gotta be saying, What in the world? Came in a very unlikely manner. And again, as we're stuck between the two advents, right? stuck between looking back, and maybe stuck isn't the right word, but looking back to Jesus coming for the first time, as we look forward to His coming again, we're in a unique position in history that the Israelites were not in because we believe the first coming happened, because we believe that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, then that gives some meaning to our looking forward. We're not looking forward with an unfounded hope. We're not looking forward with wishful thinking. We're, we're looking forward in anticipation because we're looking backwards, knowing what happened and believing what happened. Hebrews chapter 1 says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We've looked at this. We've seen that God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, speaking of the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is a great statement by the writer of Hebrews. He reminds us of of what we've looked at. He reminds us that Jesus was the subject of the prophets. All of the prophets spoke to us about Jesus long ago at many times and in many ways, and there were many prophets, and they said many things. But he says that in these last days, and again, this was written, you know, a couple thousand years ago, and a couple thousand years ago, the thought was that these are the last days because there, there is going to come a day where there's finality to everything. There's going to come a day where God's kingdom is fully realized. There's going to come a day where the Bible tells us that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it makes no distinction between those who do it willingly and those who have it forced upon them. But that day is coming. So from that day back to the day that Jesus made atonement for sins... That's the window of the last days. He, meaning God the Father, has spoken to us through God the Son. And it's God the Son whom God the Father appointed the heir of all things. All things belong to Him. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says Himself that all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. Not just on earth, but in heaven too. All authority that exists everywhere belongs to Jesus. All things belong to Him. He created the world, we're told. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that all things that were made were made through Him. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that He's the one that holds it all together. Everything's for Him. Everything's by Him. The writer of Hebrews tells us, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. I don't know if you remember this part of Moses' story, but there, there was a moment where Moses went up on a mountain and he had a face-to-face encounter with God and, and he had to hide himself from God because he couldn't handle the glory. He couldn't handle the radiance of the glory of God. He couldn't physically handle it. And he came down from the mountain and every, everybody knew like something happened to Moses because of this glow that was about him. Everybody knew that he had encountered something or someone. And we're told by the writer of Hebrews that it's Jesus who is the radiance of the glory of God. And not only that, but he's the exact imprint of his nature. If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. We, we've heard that throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus saying of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And He upholds the universe simply by the word of His power. Simply by the word of His power. We look back to Genesis Genesis to see how God created all things. He, He didn't snap His fingers. He just spoke it. He just looked into nothingness and said, let there be. And there was. No tools required. Just looked into the nothingness and spoke it into existence. And it's that same word that He upholds the universe with. And if that's not enough, the writer of Hebrews tells us that He made purification for our sins. He made purification for our sins, and after having done so, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And He's been given the name above every name, the Bible tells us, far greater than the angels. When we see in Scripture somebody encounters an angel, they, they can't handle it. They can't handle the encountering of an angel, right? People fall to their knees. They fall flat in the presence of angels. And as great as angels are, we're told that Jesus has a name that's even greater than theirs. Jesus is better than the angels. He's more excellent than the angels We're told. And the message today, given all of this, if all of this is true, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm not questioning if this is true, I'm thinking logically that if this is true, then what? If it's true that, that God has, throughout all of history, sent His messengers to us, if it's true that throughout all of history that we've ignored those messengers, we collectively as, as human beings, if it's true that the message of all of those messengers was obey God so it will go well with you. If it's true that when the prophet finally comes, when Jesus finally comes, the message is still the same repent and believe. If it's true that God is in these last days speaking to us one final time through his son. If it's true that there's a clock that's going to run out at some point, and it will. If it's true that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe simply by the word of His power. If it's true that He's superior and more excellent and better than the angels. If it's true that He's the one that Moses said this is the one you need to listen to. Then what? If all of this is true, then what? Maybe we ought to listen Maybe we ought to pay attention. If Jesus has made atonement for our sins, if there's a problem of sin, if there's something that that causes a gap between you and me and God, and if Jesus has made atonement for our sins, causing God to be knowable to us, then what? Listen. Listen. That's what. Listen, obey. That's what. Because God is good and because He's kind and because He's benevolent, then this call to obey is for our good, right? Some, sometimes as parents, you know, like we, we force our kids to obey and they don't want to obey and they, sometimes they obey kicking and screaming and sometimes they obey not because they want to obey, but because they want to avoid the punishment for disobeying, right? Right? And so we oftentimes look at God that way and think like God's forcing us to obey and we'll do so kicking and screaming. And if we do, sometimes we do so, we'll avoid punishment. We're we're not a whole lot different from our kids in that way. But God is good. God's a better parent than you are and better parent than I am. God is kinder than you. God is more merciful than you and me. He's more gracious than you and me. Sometimes as a parent, it's about winning the argument. Like, I'm not going to lose. You're going to do what I say because, like, I'm the dad, right? God's not like that. God's not stiff neck, and God's not... He doesn't argue with us so that He can win the fight. God's call to obey the message of the prophets, to obey the message of Jesus, to repent and to believe, is not so that He can win an argument. Not so that He can come out on top. It's for His good or our, our good and His glory. It'll go well with us if we obey God. If, if God upholds everything simply with the word of his power, then what he says to us matters. The way that he tells us to live matters. Even if it goes against every instinct that we have, and sometimes it does, the, the radical call, as an example that I've shared many a time, to love your enemies. It's the most difficult thing. Like, I don't think there's anything more difficult in all the Bible than the call to love your enemies. But you know who love their enemies? Jesus loved His enemies. And you know who was Jesus' enemy? Me. And you. And he loved us. And He made purification for our sins. So we ought to listen to Him. We ought to obey Him. We ought to look at Him as the subject of prophecy and the object of prophecy because the name that He has inherited is more excellent than anything in all of the universe. And so as we consider the Advent season as we consider the Christmas holiday coming upon us. Let it not be lost on us the message that God has sent to us all throughout time and all throughout history because He's merciful and because He's gracious, because He loves us, because He cares for us, because He's kind. And it's that kindness that draws us to Him and leads us to repentance. And so as we participate in the giving and the receiving of gifts, let it not be lost on us the giving and the receiving of the greatest gift ever, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And that, my friends, is good news. Father, we're thankful this morning. We're thankful that um, we're not stuck with simply bad news. We're thankful that the bad news leads us to the good news. We're thankful for Your graciousness. We're thankful that you're merciful. We're thankful that you continue uh, to send us messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger, calling us to you, bridging the gap between our sin and your holiness. And so God, as we are in these last days, as we are between the advents, as we are looking Backwards as we look forwards, please let the message of Christ not be lost, not only on us, but let the message of Christ not be lost on those who are near and dear to us, our family and our friends. And God, help us in this Christmas season um, for that truth to overshadow everything that we do all of the giving and the receiving of gifts and the gatherings of family and the sharing of meals at tables. God, help us to be ambassadors with the message of Christ, who is the object and the subject of prophecy, the one to whom all things point, and the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.